your true identity is super glued to Jesus Christ. It's anchored in what Jesus Christ has already done, not what you have done or haven't done for him. It's based on his performance and not yours. Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, just let me say thank you uh, for all of your prayers and your help in moving and gifts and pies and breads and tangible evidence of God's grace that you have shown to us. Uh, we are getting settled and uh, we are glad to be here. Very exciting. I said in all the other services, but more exciting than this is just the fact that we get to open God's word and hear what he would say to us. And that's got to be the most exciting thing of all of what we do here is hearing what he would say to us. So Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 1. Please hear the words of the living God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. You have not left us in the dark. We do not have to wonder about who you are and what you're like and what you expect of us, God, you've made it clear. And you've made it clear through the descending of your son, through his death and resurrection, his life. And God, we thank you for that. Would you open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word? Would you help us to realize what our true identity is in Christ and all the blessings that come to us because of your son? Help us now by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, titles are important. A title to a work of art can make it or break it, whether it's a movie, a book, uh, something along those lines. I mean, imagine if you would, the Mona Lisa, if it wasn't known as the Mona Lisa. What if it was just known as that lady with that little smirk on her face? I mean, what if it didn't have a title? What would we call it? Um, Titles give a work of art its identity. We see this in a book that was written several years ago and released. It was the same book that was released with two different titles. Both books received identical marketing. They were pushed by the publisher the same way. Identical books, but they called one of them the art of courtship. And they called the other the art of kissing. Now, which one would you buy? Which one do you think sold more copies? The art of kissing outsold the art of courtship by over 43,000 copies. Another book titled Compact Classics was not selling so well, so the publishers renamed it with this provocative title, The Great American Bathroom Book. The added subtitle was this, Single Sitting Summaries of All-Time Great Books. It went from this obscure reference book to an all-time seller, and they ended up making a series of this book. You see, the title gave the book its identity. John Newton, who penned the most popular Christian song in the entire world, Amazing Grace, struggled with titles too. Did you know that Amazing Grace was originally titled Faith's Review and Expectation? It's Amazing Grace. It's not Faith's Review and Expectation. 
I'm sure if it would have stuck, we would have embraced it the same. But amazing grace is just, I mean, it's perfect. We begin our exposition of the book of Philippians today. And I trust that by God's grace, the title that I've given this series will be truly indicative of the message of the book. And the title is this, Joy Unleashed. That's what the book of Philippians is about. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and he wants them to find their joy in Jesus Christ above all competing competing pleasures in the world. And he wants that joy to be unleashed in their lives. Paul is writing from a cold, dark, damp, musty Roman prison cell. Paul is, if you will, on death row as he writes this book. So I believe the title Joy Unleashed is fitting because the Romans could chain Paul up, but they could not harness his joy. Paul's circumstances could not suppress or contain the happiness that he found in Jesus Christ. Paul is going to use three different Greek words 17 times in this short book to show us that our joy needs to be unleashed, our joy in the Lord. And that's what this book is about. It's about us finding our joy in Jesus Christ above everything and that magnifies him and it gives him glory. So the epistle of joy as it, as it has been called by scholars and other preachers is going to be our home for the next few months. And at the outset, I want to challenge you to do three things if you want to. Okay, this isn't mandated, but if you want to read Philippians once a week as we go through it, I think it'll be beneficial for you. Take you about 20 minutes to read. Uh, surely you can do that. Judge Judy doesn't even last. I mean, she's barely 22 minutes with commercials, right? You can carve out some time for uh, Philippians. Secondly, I would say read it every day. We make the commitment by God's grace to read it every day. Or third, maybe you would like to memorize it. So maybe in the spring, January, February, whenever we finish this, by God's grace, we'll see where we're at. In the past, as I've discipled men through the years, I've put them on what I call the Philippians diet. And I say, go away for a month, read Philippians every single day, and then get back with me, and let's talk about what you learned. And inevitably, every single one of them has said, when I started reading, a few things jumped out initially, but after 30 days, I'm seeing things that I've never seen before out of God's word. It's no surprise because Philippians is probably a lot of Christians' favorite books, right? Even this last week, somebody released the top 10 list of most highlighted Bible verses. Three verses out of Philippians made it in the top 10. I mean, there's a, if I had time, we would read some of the, the glorious verses, but you know them. That's where we're going to be in the coming months. A little background information on the book of Philippians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Philippi. The date is about 60 to 62 AD, and the setting is a Roman prison. Some of the themes and motifs that are going to jump out of this book is joy, obviously, heavenly citizenship, fellowship with one another, the gospel, dealing with our circumstances, suffering, humility. Jesus Christ is preeminent in this book. Service for him, sanctification, imitation, resurrection, unity, giving, and having the right perspective. Those are some of the themes we'll encounter. 
the purpose, first Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church. He was an emissary that they sent out. They heard that Paul was in prison. They sent Epaphroditus, gave him a, a few lunches and said, hit the road, check on the apostle Paul for us. Paul writes this letter, gives it back to Epaphroditus and says, take it back to the church and read it to them. Tell them about my situation. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Paul planted the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16 on his second missionary journey. He visited them again in Acts 20. But it's been some years since he has seen them face to face and they were wondering how their beloved apostle and church planter and pastor is doing. So Paul writes this letter, gives it to Epaphroditus to take back to the church. They were concerned about Paul's situation in prison. And Paul is writing to say, hey, things are okay. I'm chained up in a Roman prison, but I've got joy. And you know what? Even though I'm chained up in a Roman prison, the gospel is actually spreading. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks, about how the gospel was spreading. Paul is also writing to warn the Philippian church of false teachers. A group called Judaizers were coming in, and we'll see them in chapter 3, trying to tell the Philippians it's what you do for God that makes you right with God. It's about your works. You get made right with God by how obedient you are and how you obey the Old Testament law. And Paul's going to write to them and say it's all because of Jesus' righteousness. Paul is also writing to encourage them because they're in suffering for the gospel. They're undergoing severe suffering and persecution, and Paul wants them to be united as a church body. Our big idea from verse 1 today is this. Find your identity in your Savior and not your situation. What Paul would say to us today is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to find our identity in Jesus and not in our current situations, because if you're like me, I'm prone to find my identity and live in the midst of whatever situation I'm facing or whatever circumstance is happening in my life. And that begins to shape me instead of finding my identity in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1 where Paul tells you about his identity. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Even though Paul is a slave of the Roman government on death row, he finds his identity in relationship to Jesus Paul is helpful to us here because too often we view ourselves in relation to where we are at in life. If you're like me, so many times we let our situations and our circumstances determine our outlook on life. All right? What happens if your plumbing goes out? Does that determine your outlook on life? For most of us it would, right? Instead of realizing, wait a minute, I'm... I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm going to let that determine how I act in the midst of my situation. You see, the title of our lives is often dictated by our circumstances and our feelings. But that's not the case for Paul. He refers to himself in Timothy in verse 1. He says, we are servants of Christ Jesus. Understand, this is not some formal title. Paul doesn't hand you his business card and it says servant of Jesus Christ. Sometimes he calls himself an apostle at the beginning of a letter. Here he says we're servants and it's very significant that he calls himself a servant because of his present location. Where is he? He's in prison. He's a prisoner of Rome. He is a slave of the Roman government. And yet in the midst of that, Paul says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, not the Roman government. He doesn't let Rome dictate who he is or his attitude in life. He is a prisoner of Rome. But deeper than that, he's a servant of Jesus Christ. 
Yes, he is a prisoner of Rome and has every reason to sulk and get down on himself and have the blues and be sad, but he's overflowing with joy. Now, why? Because Paul found his identity in the gospel, not his current situation in life. Now, Paul uses this word here to describe himself and Timothy. He says servants. It's literally slave. Your translations may say servants or bond servants. But he's saying, I'm a slave. A couple of things to, to know about slaves in Paul's day. Slaves had no rights or privileges. They had no claim on their life at all. No rights whatsoever. You gave up your rights. You didn't have any right to do anything. And Paul is going to write in chapter 2 about Jesus who gave up his rights and left heaven and came to earth to take our place upon the cross. And he's saying, I'm that kind of servant. I've given up all my rights, and I've given up all my privileges. Secondly, slaves had to suppress all personal interests and ambition. Any interest of theirs, they had to push down. Any ambition that they had, they had to push down because they said, I'm serving another master who dictates my life, and I can't do what I want to do because I have a master Everything in a slave's life related directly to their master. And this is what we see in Paul and Timothy. They have given up their lives for their master, Jesus Christ. They have submitted their wills to the will of their master. Because God showered them with grace, they joyfully submitted their wills to the will of their master. But they didn't do it to an awful master, did they? They didn't do it to an overbearing, harsh master. They did it to their heavenly father, a gracious, sovereign God who was orchestrating every detail of their life. So what does this mean for Paul? It means this, that wherever Paul finds himself, he knows he is precisely there because that's where his master wants him. Right there in prison. If he finds himself in prison, chained up for the gospel, guess who put him there? Guess who wants him there? His master, Jesus. Not only that, it means this, that although Paul is in prison, he's not really in prison. He may be locked up, but his situation does not have him locked up. You see, it's all about perspective. Understand this, Grace. Who you are is not your circumstance. Who you are is not what you're going through right now. That's not your identity. Who you are is determined by Jesus Christ because he is sovereign. Your situation doesn't get to dictate to you who you are because your situation is not sovereign. Jesus Christ is sovereign. He's supreme. And he gets to tell you who you are because he's the Lord, right? But too often we let our situations and circumstances tell us who we are. And Jesus is saying, that's not who you are. You're my child and you're a servant and you're a slave of me. But he's a gracious master. You see, reminding ourselves that we're slaves to Jesus and then allowing our true identity to come out helps us determine how we respond in our situations. When we realize that we're a slave of Jesus, a servant of Jesus, that helps us in the midst of our situation. So Paul and Timothy both knew that you need to find your identity in your Savior and not your situation. So let me ask you today, what are you going through in your life? Are your circumstances dictating your perspective? Look at Paul. He's in prison on death row about to face death, and yet he's rock solid in his hope and joy because of who he is in Christ. Not because of who he is 
in prison. His joy is unleashed even though they have him chained up. He may be a slave of Rome, but his real title, his real identity is bound up and rooted in Jesus Christ. What title have you given yourself? What's your identity? Are you a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ? Do you submit to him? Does all of your life revolve around him? Do you give up your rights and your privileges? Do you suppress all your personal interests and ambitions and say, it's all about what you want for my life, God, not about what I want? That's what it means to be a servant of Jesus. You see, when you find your identity in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, it helps you live in every situation the way that God intends for you to live. You are in Christ, and that perspective actually helps you live in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. So find your identity in your Savior, not your situation. We see it in the last part of verse 1 as well. Look at verse 1 again. He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. How does Paul view the Philippian church? How does he view the entire church body, the deacons, and the elders? What does he call them? He calls them saints. Paul is aware that they are sinners saved by grace. Paul would agree with Martin Luther. We are simultaneously justified and yet still sinners, right? Paul knows that, but he he knows they're going to sin until they die. They'll sin every day, but he calls them saints. It's this Greek word which means to be set apart. It's set apart ones like the Old Testament. Israel was set apart to be different from the nations, to shine forth the Lord's glory to the nations. And Paul is saying, you, Philippi, you're set apart. You're to be marked by godly characteristics. Set apart to your master. Set apart in Christ, in community with one another. There's this setting apart that happens. It means that you belong to Jesus. Sometimes I set things apart in my life. In Texas, in 100 plus degree weather, when you're doing three or four hours worth of yard work, uh, and that can even be at 7 a.m., by the way, I would often buy a few bottles of Gatorade, okay? And I'd put them in the fridge and I would tell my boys, you don't touch these bottles of Gatorade. I don't even want you looking at them. If you look at them, you're going to want them. And then you might be tempted to open them and drink them. I said, these Gatorades have been set apart for daddy because dad's going to be dehydrated and sweaty and tired and I want to come in and take a cold drink of my Gatorade. It has been set apart for me. And that's what Paul is saying to the Philippians. You have been set apart. You belong to Jesus now. He is the one who is determined, who is to determine your identity. Paul also says here that they're in Christ. They belong to him. Spiritually, they are in Christ. If you read through Philippians as we go through it in the coming months, you'll notice Paul uses, he tweaks this phrase a little bit. He'll say, in Christ or in him, in Christ Jesus, in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus. There's this emphasis. Paul is trying to make a point to the Philippians. You're in Christ now. You belong to him. Your identity is in him. That's how Paul views the Philippians. His perspective is that you're you're at Philippi, but you're in Christ. Paul wants to remind them that gospel living, 
all the commandments that he's going to give them in this letter, he's saying all of that flows out of the fact that you are united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Therefore, their entire life of discipleship was to be determined by their relationship to Jesus. He says, you're saints. That's how he viewed them. How do you view the people in your life? How do you view others in this body with with whom you have differences and grievances? Do you see them as saints in Christ Jesus? Imagine, if you will, and I know it could never happen here, but imagine somebody here had an issue with somebody else. They didn't really care for him. Now, I know that could never happen here at Grace, but let's just imagine for a minute that one of you didn't like somebody else here, okay? How would it change if the person that you had an issue with, if you looked at them and said, they've been set apart to Jesus and they belong to him and they're in Christ? How's that going to change how we treat each other? See, the irony is this, is that overseas... There's a pastor in Iran who's facing execution because he follows Jesus, and yet Christians back in America are attacking each other. We've lost our perspective. We forgot that we're in Christ. We forgot what our identity is. Notice too here, though, their physical location. They are at Philippi. They live in Philippi, but Philippi does not determine their identity. Their identity is rooted where? In Jesus Christ. We would say it this way. We're in Christ at Santa Maria, right? And some of us find our identity by living on the central coast, right? I come from a state that takes its pride on being Texan. I mean, you could write this letter to people in Texas and it would be very appropriate for them. See, the Philippians prided themselves on being a Roman colony. They went to Rome and saw the architecture, and because they're a Roman colony, they said, we want to build buildings like that. And they saw the clothes in Rome, and they said, we want to wear clothes like that. And they speak Latin, and we want to speak Latin. Philippi just wanted to be a little Rome. They were so proud of the fact that they were this Roman colony. They said, whatever comes out of Rome, we're going to embrace And Paul says, you may be at Philippi and you're in a culture that wants to be like Rome, but Paul is saying your true identity is not that you're from Philippi. Your true identity is that you're a slave of Jesus Christ. You see, for us, our true identity is found in Jesus, not in our situations, not in our circumstances, not in our surroundings. It's not not what we do or don't do for Jesus. It's what he has already done for us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Walter Marshall, Puritan from the 1600s, says in his book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, and he starts off with some bad news. So don't be alarmed by the bad news that you hear, okay? Because he's going to come with some gospel hope. But this is what he says. You are more sinful than you can imagine. The doctrine of original sin is true. You cannot reform your flesh. You cannot become a better person by your own strength, no matter how hard you try. But cheer up. If you are a Christian, you have come into union with Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are sanctified and made holy. Through Christ, you are a new creation. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Therefore, pursue the life of faith in Christ with all diligence. 
everything that we need for godliness flows out of being in Christ. We can't produce it ourselves. There's a famous pastor who told the story of meeting a young girl in his Sunday school class. And as he was teaching, she walked in and got his attention and she sat down. And the reason she got his attention was because of the way she was dressed. She was dressed in all black. Now, I'm mostly, but I've got blue on today, okay? But I'll wear a lot of black. I've heard people say that. He wears a lot of black. I do. This girl was dressed head to toe in black. She was what people call a gothic person, a goth. What it is is young people who like to wear all black. They, the girls paint their faces pale, white. They put on black lipstick, black eyeliner and mascara, black fingernails, earrings everywhere, chains, and she's dressed in all black. And here's this pastor teaching his Sunday school class. She walks in and sits down. And the whole time he's thinking is, I've got to talk to this girl. She doesn't look like the other people here. And so he comes up to her afterwards and he says, what do you do? Now, what did he mean by that? He meant, who are you? Because that's what we do when we meet someone. Hi, my name is Bob. And then what do we say? What do you do? Meaning, what's your job? Because we find our identity in what we do, don't we? So he says, what do you do? And her reply shocked him. She said, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a machine operator. (laughs) At her workplace, she operated some kind of machinery, and she didn't go into details, but she said, when you see me, you have to know this about me. First and foremost, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Cleverly disguised as this person that happens to work here, but my true identity is that I'm a disciple of Christ. It's not what I do at my workplace that makes me who I am. It's what Jesus has done for me at the cross that makes me who I am. So let me ask you today, what's your identity? Do you see yourself first as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Cleverly disguised as a mom or a lawyer, a student, a mailman, a retiree, or a traditional service worshiper? Where's your identity? Stay-at-home mom, businessman, single parent, unemployed, you fill in the blank. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a blank. Understand this, discipleship shapes all of our relationships. Your relationship with your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your neighbors, people here at this church, it's all shaped by your identity, by the fact that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. However you view yourself today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a slave of Jesus Christ. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. You are a saint. You are in Christ. You are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul found his identity. Rome could lock him up, they could chain him up, they could put him on death row, but Rome could not steal his joy. Why? Because Paul knew who he was in Christ. Where do we find our identity? If it's not in the gospel, we'll find it in some cheap substitute that will not give us any power, will not transform us in any way. Some of us find our identity in our achievements. Maybe we've got a PhD in something and that's our identity. You know, don't take the plaque off the wall. That's who I am. Some people find their identity in their work or their family. Some of us find our identity in our performance for God. 
whether good or bad. Some of you, maybe somebody here is known as the person at church that knows how to memorize tons of scripture. And you may be tempted to find your identity in that. I'm the person at work, or maybe a couple months from now, you'll memorize Philippians, but you can't take your identity from, I'm I'm the guy at church that memorized the book of Philippians. You have to find your identity in Jesus Christ. You can't think, I'm the person that gives the most in the offering. I'm the person that's been here the longest or served the most in Awana. The good things that we do for God, we can't find our identity in, nor the things that we don't do. You can't find your identity in the fact that you're the guy that yelled at his wife on the way to church because she said go this way and you went that way. Never happens with any of you married people driving, right? You can't find your identity in your failures, what you don't do for God. You have to find your identity in Jesus Christ. See, the gospel frees us from the demand to become and it helps us see what we already are in Christ. And you you can't reverse that. You have to realize, this is who I am in Christ and now I'll live out of that union with him. Your true identity is not what you have done or haven't done. It's not your shameful past. Amen? It's not your uncertain future. It's not your strengths. It's not your weaknesses. It's not your looks. Amen? Your true identity is super glued to Jesus Christ. It's anchored in what Jesus Christ has already done, not what you have done or haven't done for him. It's based on his performance and not yours. The purpose that you have in your life, the security that you have in your life is in Christ. And you know what? That frees us up from striving to find it in other things. We already have all we need in Christ. That means we don't have to be number one. If we have everything that we need in Christ, then we can say, I'll go to the back of the line. I'll be last. If we have all that we need in Christ, then we can, instead of saying, I need to get, get, get for me, for me, for me, we can say, I'm going to give, give, give for others because I have all that I need in Jesus Christ. When you understand that, all the things that you strive to do and become to find your identity, they actually become laughable in the gospel, don't they? The things that we try to become, the things that we want, are actually laughable when you compare them to the fact that you are in Christ. What's your identity today? You need to get that figured out because titles do make a difference. Titles give the identity of something what does the title to the book of your life read? Slave to Jesus Christ or slave to sin? The fact of the matter, there are two kinds of people here today, those who are born again and those who are dead in sin. And you need to get that identity figured out because eternity is at stake. You see, God is holy and just. We've all sinned. We're all born into sin. We're all sinners. God, in his holiness and righteousness, will punish sin But he loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to take our place upon the cross. Jesus absorbed all of God the Father's wrath against us because of our sin. So you need to square that up today. You need to figure out, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Will I be with him for eternity? Or will I be separated from him? That's the first order of business of finding out your identity today. Are you a child of God? It's of utmost importance. May God give us grace in the coming months to realize that 
an identity change has taken place for us because of Jesus. May we become salt and light here in our own little Philippi for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have clearly revealed yourself to us in your word and through your son. Thank you that we can find our identity in Jesus and all that he has done for us. And we don't have to try to strive to perform to get your favor. Father, as we come to the table, these elements remind us about the gospel. What a beautiful picture that your son was broken and bruised and his blood was shed to bring us to you. So we ask that you would help us love you, serve you, and be transformed and changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.